0: From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Ampirical's Tech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Ampirical, former utility engineer, and power industry advocate.
1: The impact of distributed energy resources, or DER, specifically solar and wind power, continues to be challenging for many utilities with increased DER penetration. Problems associated with DER include reverse power conditions, fast and unpredictable voltage fluctuations, excessive onload tap changer transformer, or OLTT, operations, and hunting conflicts between OLTTs, distribution capacitor banks, and active VAR DER. In this podcast, we discuss smart control methodologies that help mitigate these issues without costly communication systems while fostering volt VAR optimization, minimizing voltage constrained hosting barriers, and as a signal for controlling VAR and Watt output. Wayne Hartman is a consultant to the electric power industry on matters of system protection and control, volt VAR optimization, or VVO, fault location, isolation, and service restoration, or FLISR, distributed energy resources, and microgrids. He enjoys delivering innovative technology messages to the industry through technical forums and industry standards development. Before consulting, Wayne performed in application, sales, and marketing management capacities at Beckwith Electric, PowerSecure, General Electric, Siemens Power T&D, and Alstom T&D. During the course of Wayne's 30 years of participation in the industry, His focus has been on the application of protection and control systems for electrical generation, transmission, distribution, distributed energy resources, and power utilization. As a senior member of IEEE, Wayne serves as a main committee member of the Power System relay and Control Committee for over 25 years now, and is Chair Emeritus of the Rotating Machinery Subcommittee. He has contributed to numerous IEEE standards, guides, reports, tutorials, and transactions. Wayne has authored and presented technical papers at numerous key industry conferences, including Distributech, IEEE T&D, IEEE PPIC, Demand Response and Smart Grid Coalition, the Georgia Tech, Western, and Texas A&M Protective Relay Conferences, and Seattle's Protection and Control and Smart Grid Conferences. He also contributed to McGraw-Hill's Standard Handbook of Power Plant Engineering. Wayne, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you. It's it's great to be here and share some really good ideas about a real timely topic. So thanks again for having me.
1: Let's uh, start with how on tap changer controls for transformers and voltage regulators presently use line drop compensation. Is that really the ideal way to coordinate with line capacitors on feeders? Yeah, not really. Line drop has been used for decades, although
2: it helps to the challenges of, of voltage line drop from loading. It's an unideal way of coordinating with line capacitors, regardless of how they're switched. And when I say how they're switched, I mean are they using voltage, VAR, current, time of day, season, temperature, et cetera? Regardless of how they're switched, the action of line drop really doesn't correlate with any of them, whether they're feedback or feed forward. Line caps switch VAR in and out, thereby supporting load reactive requirements that vary. Line drop simply doesn't offer the optimal coordination with the line capacitors. It can try. Some people do it by only using the R compensation and turning the X to zero, but that only works in one direction. It doesn't work in both directions of excess and over As OLTT controls measure voltage and current, there's also access to var flow and level. Now, usually what people do with voltage and current is say, I got voltage, I got line drop. But why not measure VAR flow and VAR level? They're probably measuring it anyway because the controls can do that. That tells you about the VAR support conditions at the load. I'm collectively using OLTT to designate these low tap changing transformers and voltage regulators so I don't have to keep going back and forth naming those two. So there's the OLTT. If you have very little VAR flow, meaning you're near Unity power factor, you've got balanced VAR conditions. That means going through the load tap changing transformer, the voltage regulator, there's hardly any VAR at all. And that says, hey, my load, the compensation at the load is like perfect. And the only thing really starting to go down the line at this point is Watts. I'm not transporting any VAR one way or the other. Any load voltage changes would be from real power changes from resistive or what we call constant impedance type of loading. You want to correct that by using the OLTTs. Real power loading changes, take a tap. That's what you should be doing in that case. For real power loading changes, you shouldn't switch a cap. If you do, you get a voltage change, but it doesn't take care of the issue. What you'll end up doing is then over and then you'll have a lousy power factor. So that really doesn't uh, work for you. If you have a large amount of VAR flow to the load, meaning a lagging power factor, you've got a VAR deficit. You need VAR out there. The VAR deficit will manifest itself with a decreasing voltage sensed at the OLTT control. You want to correct that by switching on reactive support. So we're going to do something new. Instead of line drop, we're going to use VAR bias. Using VAR bias instead of line drop compensation, the OLTT control dynamically lowers its band center voltage, so it's lowering its voltage set point dynamically due to the fact it's feeling the VAR. And the downline voltage-controlled reactive support elements now emit VAR, correcting the VAR deficit, and now the voltage rises. With reactive power deficit-caused uh, voltage decrease, switch on reactive support. This reactive support can be capacitors, and in the brave new world, active VAR DER. Conversely, if you have a large amount of VAR flow from the load to the source, now it's coming up line. that's a leading power factor, you have excess VAR at the load. The excess VAR will manifest itself with an increasing voltage sense by the OLTT control. You want to correct that by switching off the reactive support. Again, using VAR bias instead of line drop, the ULTT control now raises dynamically the voltage band center, and the downline voltage control reactive support elements now either stop emitting VARs or absorb VARs. The stop emitting would be the cap switch off. The absorption would be the active VAR DER. That's correcting the excess VAR and lowering the voltage. With excess reactive power caused voltage increase, switch off reactive support to, absorb, uh, to support or absorb VARs. This reactive support can be capacitors and active VAR DER.
1: So, you seem to be a fan of voltage control for line capacitors. What's your reasoning for that?
2: You know, there's a, there's a couple of reasons, and there's always been, you know, in the world of capacitor control, there's been the simplistic feed-forward methods, temperature, time of day. You're only as good as your correlation. So, you know, you can have a hot day, but it's a cloudy day, so, you know, the sensible latent heat ratios change, and you may not meet, need that much air conditioning, yet you're turning on caps and overvaring. Then you've got feedback methods, and that's typically voltage and or var a lot of people are VAR fans, but I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why voltage might be a thing to do. The VAR bias characteristic uses voltage and VAR flow as a means of making that decision to either maintain the band center or dynamically go higher or lower, and that's based on are you at unity power factor, or meaning no VAR flow, or if you've got lots of VAR flow coming up line or downline. In that manner, the voltage sensing capacitors are either invoked to switch as the voltage on the feeder moves about, or the OLTT switches before the capacitors are invoked to, Using voltage for capacitor control is the only way to have var bias characteristic properly perform this method. There's another real important method. And this has to do now with the new pow- you know, our evolving power system. As our power system evolves, the higher levels with the higher levels of DER penetration combined with DER var control methods outlined in IEEE 1547 2018 voltages used to control active var DER var n watt output. And here's the reason for that. If you do VAR control, you got to be on the main trunk of a line. When you're a DER, you're really measuring at the terminals of the DER. That DER could be, let's say, a PV array on the roof of a CNI customer, and now the inverter gets connected into 480 volts, and then it goes to some overhead line after going underground for a bit, and it goes to the main trunk. How can you measure VAR? You're not on the main trunk. The only thing you got is voltage. So if voltage is what the inverters are using, if you use something else in the capacitors, well, now you're going to have a fight. So, by having everything be voltage based, that's how to get everything to try to work together. So, if you want the OLTTs, caps, and active DER, I'll call it, all dance together. Control voltage, the VAR bias characteristic combined with VAR controlling elements using voltage as the control methodology is the way to go. As line drop compensation does not coordinate well with voltage control capacitors, it does not control well with voltage control DER.
1: I understand how the capacitor uses voltage control to switch on and off. If the voltage rises, the capacitor switches off. If the voltage falls, the capacitor switches on. But how does an active VAR DER accomplish this?
2: That's a great question and key to understanding the OLTT VAR bias control strategy. We're going to also envelop these, these new inverters. Inverter-based DER uses VOLT VAR droop and VOLT watt droop. Volt-var troop uses voltage as the measured variable to control the VAR import or export of inverter-based DER. If the voltage decreases, so we're going down from, you know, 120 as a nominal, 120, 118, 116, the inverter-based DER starts to change its power factor so it cuts back on Watt and begins to emit VAR. This is done as analog type of control, not a step control like no VAR, boom, a ton of VAR. It's analog control with the VAR output proportional to the voltage decrease. There's ramp rates along with limits to begin the VAR export and finally limit the VAR export. Conversely, if the voltage rises, the inverter-based DER starts to change its power factor so it cuts back on Watt and absorbs VAR. This is done, again, as analog control with the VAR absorption proportional to the voltage increase. There's ramp rates along with voltage limits to begin VAR import and then finally limit the VAR import. Between the var start emit and start absorb voltage values, there's a dead band. So you could say, I'm not going to do anything with VAR at 120, and I won't do anything, let's say, up to 122 and down to 118. That's very similar to how you would operate an OLTT control. You would have a band center and then a bandwidth, and that's really another word for the dead band around the set point. So a dead band exists in which the inverter simply produces real power. By careful coordination of the capacitor voltage switch-on and switch-off levels, combined with the timing associated with these voltage switching levels, the inverter-based DER can be made to coordinate with the capacitors. A really cool thing to note is the capacitors switch on and off with increments of VAR, while well, the inverter-based DER can just adjust the VAR values with great resolution. So the inverter-based DER can now finely tune the VAR on the feeder around the binary control the capacitors offer. Let's say I have capacitors that are 1,200 kVAR chunks. Maybe 1,200 kVAR is too little. 24 kVAR maybe is 400 kVAR too much. The inverters can actually then absorb that 400 kVAR and get you really right and tight near unity. So by combining discrete steps, along with now the analog capabilities of the inverters, now you've really got some fine-tuning going on. And, of course, whenever I'm doing things without switching steps, there could be issues with resonance between banks and things like that. That that kind of like goes away a lot when you're using the analog. Now, synchronous generators have typically had their excitation control set to operate at Unity. That's kind of been a thing for years. So if you had a synchronous gen set, let's say, in a hospital or a wastewater plant, if it's running parallel to the grid, it's running at unity power factors. So, at the point of common coupling, don't push VAR out to the system. Don't pull VAR in. You try to be VAR neutral. So, you just float about, and whatever the feeder voltage level is, you're just floating along. So, if the feeder's at 120 secondary, that's what you're at at the point of common coupling. If it drops to 118, you're at 118. If it goes up, you go up. Those excitation controls are capable of adjusting VAR import and export on voltage. They just don't do it now but they're capable they've always been capable of doing it but typically the utilities have said like no and then 1547 the older version that was made in 2013 also said no it was the addendum that was done in 2013 and now the 2018 version that are kind of taken the gloves off and let everybody play in this reactive support game so to get the sync generators to get into the game that had to be changed it should be noted the amount of our import and export is limited by the capability which typically means all you're going to get from a sync machine 0.9 lead to 0.9 lag, which limits the amount of var to much smaller value and that, you know, that a similar rated inverter can operate. Uh, power electronics don't have a D-curve, they're not adversely affected by VAR flow, where synchronous generator has to worry about heating limits from the rotor and stator, plus in the case of under stability concerns. But the new news is synchronous generators can now dynamically help with voltage control to a degree way previously didn't. As with the inverter-based DER, if the synchronous generators absorb VAR, they lower the voltage, and if they emit VAR, they will raise the voltage.
1: All right, I get the volt-var-droop control, but you also mentioned volt-watt-droop. Who would ever want to control the the watt output of a DER simply because that's what provides the monetary incentive to employ DER in the first place, right?
2: It sounds like a dumb idea, but here's the use. From the utility perspective, if there's great enough penetration of DER in a feeder, uh, due to the impedance of the feeder, that can be a voltage rise as one moves down the feeder from the source Out, You know, let's say four miles down to where let's say there's a large cluster of DER. And this can take place also even like a homogeneously dispersed line. Even if the utility uses the proper amount of capacitors to get rid of the inductive reactants, that would be the X sub L of the feeder, one still has resistance. We haven't figured out how to get rid of R. You know, there's just, if I have conductor every thousand feet, I've got an R and I can't make it go away. So the watt flow over the feeder resistance, which really that's translating into a current flow, may cause a voltage rise enough to begin to violate the limits that are set in ANSI C84.1, which is 5% overrated. So on 120 base, that's under 26 volts. That's not a whole heck of a lot of headroom. To lower the feeder voltage, one should consider to lower the voltage on the upline OLTTs as a first action. So instead of operating on the load side of a regulator at one twenty. If we know that we're going to start getting a whole large amount of DER beginning to like backfeed where the voltage can rise down line, maybe what I want to do is begin to lower it. So here's what we can do. We can sense for the presence of reverse power. And that's telling you, okay, here come the power. It's used to roll downhill. Now it's coming up at me. It indicates high DER output. And then using a negative line drop strategy. Now counterintuitive, we normally want line drop to raise voltage as we go down a line. Now as we get the power going backwards from DER we want to start to lower it. And by lowering that feeder voltage right at the load terminals, that compensates for the, ex- uh, the excess output because it will lower the voltage down the feeder. So if you were beginning to hit your head at 125 or 126 volts, because the regulator, let's say output was 120, lower the regulator down to 117 and whoa, all of a sudden now you're down to 123. So, uh, and there's, al- there's always a guarantee. If I've got a high amount of watt flow coming at me, It's Ohm's law, right? I've got current over the resistance. I get a voltage rise. So it's not like, well, how do I know the voltage is going to be higher down there? Because Ohm's law said so kind of deal. Once that strategy is exhausted, one would employ the volt-var droop in the DER. Once that becomes exhausted, one can have the inverter-based DER cut back in its Watt output, thereby lowering the current flow over the feeder resistance and that's the last resort to the voltage rise problem that might occur in a very high DER output, such as a feeder with a high amount of PV DER on a cool, sunny day at high noon. So think, think of someplace like Las Vegas in the middle of the summer and like a cool front comes through and you're getting maximum output out of the PV and you've got this huge amount of irradiance, maybe like 1200 Watts per square meter. And it's just, you know, socketed to it. And you're going to get this one or two hours of just ultra high penetration and ultra high current flow. Uh, the watt reduction would be done by all the DER equally. So we're not beating on anybody or picking on anybody. So if each cuts its watt output by a small percentage, the aggregated watt loss, therefore current loss, makes the difference in the voltage rise. The act of lowering the voltage with reverse power flow sensed by the OLTST controls has been named line rise compensation. So instead of line drop that we've been used to hearing all these years when we're dealing with just load, we can actually do a line rise compensation to help us out.
1: That's really interesting. So, line rise compensation for reverse power from the DER does that have any drawbacks? That is, can it ever get you into trouble?
2: Yeah, if the reverse power isn't from the DER, and that's kind of the trick. So, line rise compensation is viable when the reverse power flow is from DER. But what about reverse power after a line reconfiguration that would occur from flizzer or a DMS implementation? If the reverse power is from flizzer or a DMS action. One doesn't want to use line rise. Basically, you know, you need to like, turn around and start to do some regulation. So when we use the voltage on the load side of the OLTT, the reason we use line rise compensation with DER is that DER distribution will typically be much weaker source strength than the substation supplying the feeder. The weak cannot regulate the strong. So one is using the OLTT to regulate voltage in the assumed normal power flow direction from the DER to the load. With a feeder reconfiguration causing reverse power, one would want to regulate in the reverse direction, invoking you the line drop compensation of our bias. Now for the million-dollar question, how does one know if the reverse power is from DER or reconfiguration? So the feeders are subject to reverse power flow from either of these conditions at different times. So you know, if, if you know that a feeder has no DER and has reverse power, you know it was a reconfig. If you know a feeder is a, is a radial and can never be reconfigured and you get reverse power, then you know it's from DER. But what happens if we have feeders that can be reconfigured and they have DER on them? So that's kind of, that's the question. So one can use DMS and SCADA to know the positions of all the circuit switching elements, such as reclosers and switches, to determine if a section of the feeder with the OLTT is subject to reverse power from a reconfig, then properly implement the OLTT control as regulate and reverse. But that could be expensive due to the DMS and SCADA connectivity required to do so. Modern OLTT controls may have the capability to determine source strength autonomously and dynamically on every tap change. If the reverse power flow through the OLTT exists, when a tap is taken, there's a resultant voltage change on the normal load side. If that resultant change is greater than half the expected voltage change, the strong source is on the normal source side, the OLTT. In that case, the OLTT control should regulate forward, perhaps using the line rise compensation strategy. If the resultant voltage change is less than half of the expected increase, the strong source is on the normal load side of the OLTT. In that case, the OLTT control should regulate in reverse using either line drop compensation or VAR bias. And when I say, what's the normal expected change? On tap changers, we normally get three-quarter of a volt. So if you take a tap, you sense a reverse power when you take a tap, and you either get three-quarter of a volt or you get more than half of three-quarter. Let's say you get, instead of the uh, 0.75, you get, you know, point 0.6. You still have the strong source and the assumed normal source side. If you would take a tap, instead of getting the 0.75 volt in reverse power, you get like 0.25 or zero. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, you know, the sources have changed sides. The strong source is now at the load side. So that's how a control can do this like all the time. So, by dynamically measuring source strength of each tap, you know, each tap change operation, the OLTT control is aware of the situation and can implement the proper control methodology. This ability is called auto determination, as in auto determination of source strength. Summarizing, it's not enough simply to know if you're in reverse power. One must know the source strength in order to execute the right control. Regulate in reverse when the source strength is changed, or regulate forward, perhaps a new constants. If the source strength still is, you know, coming from the normal source side is strong and the load side is weak, and that would be the DER backfeeding, but it's still weaker than the normal source.
1: I've heard that uh, photovoltaic or PV-DER presents issues due to the output variability from changes in irradiance. For example, a fast intermittent cloud cover of the solar array. How can we handle that irradiance challenge?
2: Yeah, it's very true. There's some areas of the country that are, you know, solarly blessed, if you would, Uh, you know, Denver and Las Vegas and, you know, the Mojave Desert and Death Valley. Yeah, they they got a lot of sun, but PV can be highly volatile. Take where I live, for example, the Tampa Bay area. Living in Tampa, Florida, we routinely have intermittent cloud cover for hours a day. They say we're the sunshine state, but that doesn't mean the irradiance doesn't swing and sometimes big and fast. I've seen a radiance chart so the watts per square meter swings from 1000 to 200 in 30 seconds. That would reflect in PVDER output power change of five to one ratio. Imagine you had a feeder with three megawatts of smaller PV speckled all over the line and then you get a swing from the PVDER of a 5 to 1 magnitude in 30 seconds, you're going to get a voltage change because the current over the resistance and perhaps the XL is going to rapidly increase or decrease depending if you're going from you know higher radiance to cloud cover or coming out of cloud cover and going to higher radiance. We typically set OLTT controls with time delays for tapping of to 6,220 seconds. That's good for steady state. Uh, but what happens when you get this rapid large block load increase or decrease? So you could... You know, you could have block loading changes from faults, so you can have block loading changes from all of a sudden cloud cover just quickly moves and all of a sudden you get like the higher radiance. The voltage rapidly changes. There's the answer. Large block load increases and decreases maybe from DER volatility, flizzer, or distribution automation. With a long time delay, the OLTTs may not operate quickly enough to bring the feeder voltage back into proper limits with that big block change. To face this challenge, OLTT controls may execute inverse time-based response To voltage value changes. If the voltage moves out of band center by a small amount, keep that long time delay. If the voltage moves out of the band center by large amounts, decrease the time delay. It's the basic concept of an inverse curve. Simple and effective. By employing inverse time delay, the OLTT will not only switch rapidly if the voltage fluctuation is rapid and large. By implementing this strategy, we accomplish two things. With slow and small voltage change, you use a longer time delay, that doesn't over-exercise the OLTT. The voltage may move back into band during the delay time, resulting in no tap change, saving wear on the OLTT. We don't want to tap ourselves to death. I mean, these are mechanical devices and there's also the electrical wiping of the contacts. You may start to get carbon buildup and heating. So we don't want to over-exercise if we don't have to. With a rapid voltage change, using a shorter time delay, one will allow fast response to correct the voltage. We work the asset more but the bottom line is we don't violate, or at least we're working in the right direction not to violate by moving it. And that would be like you know, taping, taking like a tap a second to correct this large deviation that's taking place from this very rapid block loading change, whether we're assuming loading or dumping loading in a real hurry.
1: Well, it certainly appears there are some real intricacies that affect the proper control of feeder voltage in today's world of distribution automation and DER. Yeah, times have changed and the distribution system's rapidly
2: evolving. Simple radio lines are having their complexion changed with DER and or distribution automation. Fortunately, control methods employed by modern OLTT controls can cope with these changes and do so in a cost-effective way. Reason? You need a control anyway. If you use a smart one, you get the smarts and the smarts can help you. As one discusses VoltVar management with utilities, sometimes the answers in their tool chest appear limited. Some think one must use SCADA DMS everywhere now. It's like, well, our deployment plans won't even have it over here for five years. We need it now. Some think the inverters can handle the issues themselves. Others needlessly limit the DER penetration due to voltage rise, just thinking, well, our planners said we're going to get a voltage rise, and that's the end of that, because they're not aware of the newest solutions. In my opinion, the answer lies in this all-in approach of using DMS SCADA smart OLTT controls, and modern inverter capabilities combined everybody in the pool to contribute to successful VoltVar management of the complex feeder and distribution system. With the proper control implementations, one can host more DER while still maintaining maximum operating efficiency offered with VoltVar management.
1: Wayne, I very much appreciate your insights into managing the challenges presented by DER to voltage control. This has been extremely informative, and maybe we can have you back another time to explore the concept further.
2: Ah, it would, it would be my pleasure. And thank you very much for having me today.
0: Well, that about wraps up this edition of the Power Tech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log in to wherever you've subscribed to the podcast and both rate this show and leave a comment, as that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit empirical.com. We post free white papers, articles. And all of our previous podcasts there. Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, you can do all of that and much more at empirical.com. Please stay tuned and join us for the next episode of the Power Tech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.